Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, this is our theme, that you may have power to understand with all of God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. How many you know? How many of y'all want to experience Jesus's love? You want to experience how deep it is. You don't just want to know it, but you want to experience it. You want to have the revelation. Come on, you want it to impact your life. You want to live from that reality. That's the reality you want is from the reality of His love. Uh, we've been reading a little bit. We've been talking about. Uh, John, we, we started talking about this a few weeks ago, whenever, uh, you know, John was the only guy that we know in scripture that actually was sitting at the t- table with Jesus and, 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 and kind of rested up and heard the heartbeat of Jesus and said that he rested his head on his chest. Uh, the old translation says bosom, uh, which is kind of funny. And uh, so he, he put his head in the chest of Jesus. And I believe the things that he heard in that moment were the things that he saw whenever they couldn't kill him and they send him off to this Alcatraz type island called called Patmos. And he's there on this island and he has this revelation of Jesus. And it's not the revelation of the, of the, the end times. It's not the revelation of the antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus. And it's who Jesus is now. And it's who Jesus is whenever he's returning for his bride. So when he sees this man and he, and he, and he writes these, you know, seven letters to these churches, um, the, these messages to the churches, whenever Jesus starts speaking to him, he comes up behind him and he says that he hears from behind him a voice like a trumpet. And he didn't have any other way to, he just knew it was loud and it was noisy. And he turns and when he returns around, he sees this beautiful man, Jesus, speaking to him. Revelation chapter 1 verse 14, it says that his hair, his head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Now this, this, uh, terminology, his eyes like blazing fire actually mentioned three times in the book of revelation. How many know that our eyes are the window of our soul? So whenever he sees Jesus, he sees that his eyes are lit up like fire, revealing the heart of Jesus, the same heart that John heard that day when Jesus was on the earth. And it says his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. You guys have seen metal being burned in a furnace. It has that that glow to it. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. So he says, first he hears his voice like a trumpet. And now his voice is like rushing waters. It's powerful. There's, there's refreshing to it, but there's also volume and there's also urgency in his voice. So he's getting all this. He's taking all this in. He's seeing this man that's on fire. And it says in his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And it says his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now, how can you see the eyes of fire if his face is bright as the sun? Have you ever tried to look at the sun before? You know, um, my father-in-law said that when they were kids, they used to have a sun staring contest. (laughs) And uh, so he's blind. Uh, He's not actually. But how can you see eyes like fire if the face is like the sun? Well, the eyes would have to be brighter than the face itself. So we see this picture of Jesus, and he's saying, listen, this is what he looks like. He looks like fire. 
I mean, his face, what is the sun? The sun is a big ball of fire, right? So he's like, it looks like fire, and his eyes are on fire, and his feet are on fire. This man is on fire. Why is he on fire? Because he is talking about his woman. <laughs> he is, come on, he is talking about his bride. He's about to give a message to his woman. And this is how passionate Jesus is. He is this fiery man, full of affection, full of love, full of passion, about to talk about his woman. Come on, are you with me? Man, y'all going to get me preaching today. Listen, I'm telling you that there is a man right now in heaven that looks like this, that is full of passion, that is full of desire, that that, that is full of drive and aggression for you. Beloved, his love is not a cold state. He's not, you know, we've, we've got this picture of God. When we don't know God, this is kind of, of the idea that ha- people have that don't know God, that don't have a relationship with Jesus. They think that he's got kind of this stale, old, cold love. But his love, there is nothing stale and cold and dormant about his love. It is very active. It is very passionate. He is a God who loves us. Not because it's his cosmic obligation. Well, God is love, so he has to love us. Listen, he loves you with great desire. Great passion. This burning man that we're talking about this morning, number one, is a relentless lover. He's a lover that that is unrelenting, that, that, that it doesn't stop. Song of Solomon, which is, we're, we're also getting a lot of material for this uh, series, Song of Solomon chapter 8. Now, this is kind of the end of Song of Solomon. It's the Shulamite woman. And so here she has all this stuff about Jesus and, and you know, or, or Solomon, actually, but the prophetic picture of Jesus as the lover. And then at the end, getting near the end of Song of Solomon, she's getting this Revelation, she's hammered by how much she is in love with this man, but also his love for her. And this is what she says. This is her commitment. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Place me in covenant. Place me in a place where our love is sealed. And Eli talked about it last week. We talked about it the week before, um, that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our love. And the seal is a sign of ownership, a sign of commitment. Like we wear a wedding ring. Leslie and I got new wedding rings yesterday. What is that? That is the seal. That's a seal of our love. It's saying, hey, listen, we are committed to this thing. So here she is after this revelation. She says, I'm all in. Place me as a seal. For love is as strong as death. Now, it's interesting that love would be described like death. I mean, don't those things kind of seem, doesn't that seem kind of backwards to you? Love is strong as death. I just, I'll just kind of pass over that scripture, right? What is death? Death is, 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 is inescapable. Death is absolute. So when she says love is as strong as death, she's saying your love is solid. It's absolute. There's, there, there's, it's, 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 it's definite. Are you with me? It's inescapable, your love. It's jealousy is unyielding 
as the grave, it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. You know, one of the things about our love for God is that he has put it in our hearts in such a way that it's unquenchable. Are you with me? Like, it's like, I love God, but like, I don't love him enough. Like, I want to love him more. Like, it's even though like he comes and he reveals himself, I know that his love is so much deeper. So it's like when I love him, it's like my desire to love him is greater. It's like the increase of his love. I'm filled with it. And then ah, I want more. I I remember um, several years ago, uh, my nephew, my brothers and I, we went to... uh, the coast, we went to uh, South Padre Island, and we were spending some time down there. And we went to this all-you-can-eat buffet place, Father. And uh, we're at this all-you-can-eat buffet place. It's a seafood all-you-can-eat buffet place. I think it was like 20 bucks a head, which is a pretty good price for all-you-can-eat seafood. And um, so we're eating, you know, like gluttonizing this buffet. And... <laughs> So we're like just kind of sitting around, you know, the brown boys, you know, and we're kind of kicking it and we're, we're talking. And so my nephew, Anthony, got up and he goes, like, we're, we're sitting there probably half an hour and we're full. You know how it is when you're full? Uh, my pastor in El Paso used to say stuffed as a tick, you know. And uh, so we, we were stuffed as a tick, you know, we were full, we were full of it and uh, full of food. And so my nephew, went and he got this plate. Of crab legs. And he comes and he sets the crab legs down at the table. He puts them in the middle of the table like, I didn't just get these for me. I got them for everybody else. But we're so full. So he's eating the crab legs. And even though we were full, there was something desirous about these crab legs. I mean, they're crab legs, you know. <laughs> like, and you know, I mean, I could eat one. It's not going to really, if you've ever eaten crab legs before, you know it really doesn't fill much space in your stomach. But it actually feels a great desire in you. It's glorious. And so he, we're eating these. So somebody's going to need to buy me some crab legs today for lunch and baby. And so, so we're there and we start eating crab legs. Well, for the next two hours, I don't know if it was two hours, but it felt like two hours. He keeps getting up and bringing crab legs. Even though we were full, there was still desire. We were probably burning more calories eating them than we were actually consuming. If you've ever eaten crab legs, you know they're, they just don't fill up a lot of space in your stomach. And we just continue to eat and continue eating. And I believe that this is the way the love of God is, that we can eat and we can be satisfied, but we want so much more. And even though we may be full, there's great desire for more. And listen, that is the relenting love that he has for us. And he's put that inside of us. It's an unyielding love. It's undistracted. God's love for us isn't like our love for him. Our love for him is very easily distracted, right? It's like, oh, God, I love you, squirrel, right? It's like we get distracted easy in our love for him. But his love for us is not like that. It's totally unrelenting. Listen, let me declare this over you, that you are the obsession of Jesus. He is absolutely obsessed with you. If you were to walk into his bedroom, he would have like pictures of you all over his wall. He would have like your name like engraved on his arm. I mean, he is madly sick, crazy, passionately, unrelenting in love with you. After you, after you, after you, after you. And it cannot be quenched. He is coming after you and it cannot be quenched. He is still coming. Yes, he is coming even so now. And he's still coming. 
He's coming right now. He's coming tomorrow. He is after you. And he wants more of you. And it won't be satisfied. It's his desire. And it's not out of anger. So he's a relentless lover. Number two, he is a zealous lover. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. In John chapter 2, verse 13, we see the story of Jesus. It's almost time for Passover. John chapter 2, verse 13. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. Jesus made a whip out of cords. Isn't that cool? And so he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house has consumed me. Here it is. Jesus, lamb, Jesus, meek and mild. God and sinners reconciled, right? Tender little eight-pound Jesus shows up in the temple, and there was some stuff happening on in the temple that wasn't supposed to be happening. Uh-oh. What happened to this man? What, what's up, Jesus? You're being a little shady. What happened to Mr. Tolerance? Right? Jesus Calm down. Whoa. I mean, could you imagine the look on the... We, we don't see this anywhere else. But Jesus is very passionate. And, he, and the disciples remember the scripture that Jesus fulfilled. Zeal for your house consumes me. Listen, Jesus was dealing with the place of intimacy. He was dealing with the place where people that were, come, were to come and meet with God. And he had great zeal because the, the thing that was, it was destined for was not being accomplished. Listen, Jesus has great zeal for us. So whenever we live outside of the context of what he designed for us, he has great zeal to remove those things because we're not fulfilling our purpose. Hold up. This is supposed to be a place of prayer, a place of intimacy. You are supposed to be a place of communion with God. This is who you are. So what Jesus likes to do is he likes to remove all the junk in our life that has no place in our life. Bad thinking patterns. Come on. Wrong beliefs. Sin. Come on. Distractions. This is the way he deals with them. He's not angry at you. He's not pissed off at you. But he hates those things that are not supposed to be in there. We've got to understand that Jesus hates sin. And Jesus hates distractions. Why? Because they are not our destiny. Because of his great love, he hates. Because of his great desire and his passion for you, he hates those things that stand in the way of your passion for him. Did you get that this morning? The word zeal in Greek is a word that is zelos. 
And that means excitement of mind or fervor of spirit. Zeal actually means to be overly excited. Jesus is overly excited. I mean, if Jesus showed up in our church service, he would be overly excited. People would be like, calm down, right? You need to calm down, Jesus. I'm sure that this is the way they felt right here. The disciples and everybody else that was in the room at the temple this day, they were like, whoa, Jesus, calm down. This isn't of God, (laughs) right? But Jesus is overly excited. He is full of great zeal. That word zeal, uh, zelo, actually has the root word, which is zeal, and that means to boil with heat, to be hot. So Jesus is on fire with zeal. He's passionate. He has zeal. He has fervency, but he is fervency. It's who he is. He's zealous. Zeal is a good thing. Come on, are you with me? What are you zealous about? So why does this zeal that Jesus has reveal itself as rage? I mean, Jesus was tripping, right? I mean, it was kind of shady. Let's just be honest. I mean, it would be a lot easier for our belief system to just take that part out. It would be easier, but it would be much, much better to recognize it for what it is. Why such rage? Well, because he's not only a zealous lover, but he's a jealous lover. Jesus is a jealous lover. It says that his jealousy is unrelenting, unyielding as the grave. See, he's jealous, and that jealousy isn't going to stop. It's unyielding. It's not going to change at all. There's nothing you can do to change his jealousy. He's jealous for you. It's interesting in the Hebrew, the word zealous and jealous are aquana. And it's the exact same word. Zeal or being zealous and jealous are the exact same word in the Hebrew language. The exact same word. What does that mean? Jealous means to be zealous for. Full of passion for you. Are you with me? He wants you. He wants you completely. He is jealous for you. He doesn't want anybody else to have you. He doesn't want you to want anybody else. He doesn't want you to look over there. He wants you right here. He's a jealous lover. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Listen, he's not just jealous, like kind of jealous, like, oh, it's just an attribute of God. He's jealous. No, 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 no. He is burning with jealousy for her. Uh, there was an interview, hopefully I don't smash your idols this morning, but hopefully I do. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Oprah Winfrey, who's probably the most famous woman in the world. And someone asked her, she had a Christian upbringing. And someone called her Christian, 
I think it would just depend on your doctrine of who Jesus is. <clears throat> and this woman got on and she said, hey, she said, uh, I have a question for you. It's kind of Q&A thing. And she said, Oprah, she said, oh, I got to ask you about Jesus. You believe Jesus is the only way. So she goes into this story. She didn't really answer the question. She just goes into the story. She said, when I was in my 20s, I was in this Baptist church. She's, you can look it up on YouTube. She's sharing this. She says, I was in this Baptist church, and all these people were coming in, and they were all fired up, and the preacher started talking about God, and he was saying, God is full of love. Yeah! God is full of desire for you. Yeah! Everybody's excited. And, she, and then the pastor said, and God is jealous. He said what Scripture says. And she said at that moment when she heard that, that she shut down. That she said that jealousy is wrong. And my message to Oprah would be, that preacher was just repeating what scripture says. That God is jealous. And she said, how could God, I remember the first time Leslie and I ever saw this, and she actually pointed it out. She said, how could God be jealous of me? And Leslie popped up right then. We were watching the video together. She said, God isn't jealous of you. God is jealous for you. So God doesn't have any jealousy of you. He made you. He put you in this world and he can take you out. He can do what he wants to do. Let's not forget that. He is omnipotent. He is full of power. Come on, are you with me? If we're wise, we will be like Solomon talked about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're wise, you'll recognize that he is all-powerful. Come on. Careful now. Careful now. Listen, jealousy is being passionate in the scriptural sense of the God sense of jealousy. We're not talking about envy or covetousness. These are sinful things. But jealousy is to be passionate or desire for somebody. There's a holy kind of jealousy, a burning, driving, zealous, relentless desire of a lover, a refusal for distraction or distracted love or devotion. So the, the holy kind of jealousy is we're not going to have anything else. It's going to be you and me, right? If you're a young man and you think you're the man and you decided to Start calling my wife and wanting to spend a lot of time with my wife. How many know that I'm not jealous of that man, but I am jealous for my woman? You don't call my wife. You don't talk to my wife like that. You don't get up in the morning. You don't get up in the morning and look good for my wife. I'll remove the things. That are trying to distract her. She's mine. And listen, that is the way that God feels for you, but exponentially more. This is the holy kind of jealousy. Then there's the evil kind of jealousy, which would be like, oh, I'm jealous of Bryce's awesomeness, hair, and his beard that he can grow, which is a point of envy, if I must confess. Someday. 
So that would be the evil kind of jealousy. Listen, God is jealous. He will not allow you. No, 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 no. He will not allow you to have any other lovers. You don't get to have any other lovers when you're in covenant with God. It's him and him alone. Just him. No other lovers. That's why when when God commanded us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's because that's the love that he has for us. So he was saying, you're not going to have any other love for anything else. It's going to all be in me. And you will love other people through that love. But it's all coming back to me. Exodus chapter 34, verse 12. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going. Everybody say the world. Do not let it, let it be a snare to you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asheria poles, which are basically like sex gods. Do not worship any other gods. No. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God is saying in this scripture, you're not going to worship any body, anything else. Don't be distracted. I'm the one you want. So don't get caught up in the affairs of this world and worshiping the idols of this age. God won't have it. He won't have it because he has great desire for you. And number four, he is a furious lover. Furious. God is a furious lover. Listen, when we say furious, we don't mean that it's angered, centered, but it's a forceful, powerful, driven love. It's an aggressive love that is for you and fighting for you. It's furious, it's aggressive. It's absolutely his love is aggressive. Did you know there's two sides fighting for your attention? The devil, the enemy, is fighting for your attention. To distract you, he's doing it. Circumstances, temptation, all just trying to get your attention. All just trying to get you to just look over here. But God is also fighting for your attention. Listen, we know that Jesus won the battle at the cross so we could have our attention on God. But God is still fighting for your attention. Because he's that into you. Right? Because he's that into you, he's fighting for you. He's like, I I want you. I I want your attention. I want your focus. I want your heart. I want you. I want right here. Sometimes when, when, I, when I'm talking to Judah and I'm like, son, listen, da, 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 and he's like, right? I'm like, hey, right here. I want you to look at my face. I want you to look at my eyes. This is how God is. I want you to look at me. Not because he's, he's about to be mean spirit to us. No, but because he loves us and he wants us to look in those burning eyes. And to stop being distracted by all the things that would pull our attention away. He is furious. And this is what we see when Jesus cleared out the temple that day. Listen, the enemy will be satisfied to distract you just a little bit, just to look over here. But God 
will only be satisfied with undistracted devotion. Now, we're not saying that his love for you is going to change because how many of you know that you were sinners and he died? You were, you were rotten. You were undesirable. He saw you worthy. He wants you. But because of that same love that he had for you when he drew you, that same love he has for you, he says, you will not look to the left or the right. You will focus on me. I am your obsession as well. Because he's that into you. Listen, he is tender and merciful for, for us. With us. He is merciful and tender with us, but furious with rage towards the issues in our life that would hinder our love back. We look, when we look at these things called boundaries, right? God has boundaries, right? God has standards. Just because Jesus come doesn't mean that the, there's no more standard. No, 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 there's no standard anymore. Jesus is the standard. That's a high standard. Jesus is a high standard. <laughs> right? The boundaries, if we look at them as boundaries, they're, they're only boundaries in our mindset. They're actually keys. Listen, they're actually keys that unlock our potential in the spirit. The reason why God has set up standards is because they're keys, they're doorways to experiencing more to understanding more, to recognizing more, to loving more. The guidelines that God gives us are not restraints. They're actually weight cutters. See, if you're looking at God's standard as weighty, it's that you don't understand why the standard is there. The standard is there to steer your heart. They're actually weight cutters. They're hindrance breakers. So when we talk about conviction, we think, oh, so convicted. Like it's a bad thing. Conviction is a good thing because it's God saying, hey, don't look over there. Look over here. Stop looking over there. Look over here. So God wants to bring conviction so we'll know where to look. We talk about judgment. People look, okay, God of the Old Testament, judgment. God of the New Testament, grace, love. We got judgment over here. And love over here. No, no, no. Love is over here. There's judgment in the New Testament. Book of Acts, book of Revelation. We see judgment all around. What is judgment? What is God's judgment? Is it, is it God's anger? Is judgment God's anger? No, no, no. Judgment is God removing things that keep us from loving him back. That's all judgment is. So judgment, when you can look at it through the eyes of a loving God, when you get the grid that God is loving and passionate and desirous of you, you say, God, come judge me because I want the things removed because I want to love you more. And it's not something that we go, oh, I don't want that anymore. No, no, no. I welcome it. Holy Spirit, come show me. Please show me because I want to grow in my love for you. Where did we become so stagnant? To say, God, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? Uh, You are okay because of the blood of Jesus. But will you get passionate for him back? Will you love him back? Because this is the kind of lover he is. He's unrelenting. He wants you to love him back. You know, we have this this statement that we say, and I know that it's kind of overused and 
you know, people got a bad attitude about it. But the statement is, is love the, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner, right? Listen, may I submit to you that the reason why God hates sin is because he loves the sinner. The reason why God hates, hates heroin is because he loves people that are addicted to it. Because these are things that are destructive to their destiny. So whatever the issue is, social, moral issue, he hates the issue. He deep because he loves the person that is entangled in it. And he loves them and he has destiny for them. He loves them. So he says, I hate that stuff because that stuff is screwing you up. Because you're a house of intimacy and you can't be that with that in your life. Let me get rid of it. It's because I love you. And I want more of you. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Listen to the wisdom here. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap? We love to use this scripture, but let's read it completely. Can a man scoop a fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Excuses might be found for a thief who comes in and steals because he's starving, but if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole. Even if he has to sell everything in his house, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. For he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. For the woman's jealous husband, for the woman's jealous husband will be furious and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation or he will accept no bribes. Nor will he be satisfied with a payment of any size. The New International Version says this, says that jealousy arouses a husband's fury. Listen, God isn't furious at you. He's furious at the enemy of your soul. He's removing that thing in your life that is an issue. So will you do what the Apostle Paul said, to hate what is evil, to hate that stuff that's hindering me, love what is good Jesus loves us deeply but he wants us to start hating the wickedness in our lives not hating yourself listen not 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 self mutilation and self hating on yourself but hating those those attitudes those thought processes those negative doctrines those those things that are hindering you from loving God the mindsets the sin the desire God wants to Put those things to death like they are a man intruding in your marriage. Are you with me? This is the way God feels about the things that we allow to come in. And it's exactly what I was talking about earlier. If if a man approached Leslie, there would be no mercy for him. Maybe by God, but only God. 
There would be no mercy. And this is what he talks about. Listen, this is the exact same way that Jesus feels. We're not talking about people. We're talking about spiritual forces. And high places that would come and try to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. God wants to come and he wants to attack those things in your life that would so easily ensnare you and entangle you and distract you. He wants to remove those things because he loves you. The cry at the end of the age will be, I love her. You cannot have her. This will be, when Jesus returns, this is his message. I love her my bride. I love her. You cannot have her. I'm sick of all these distractions. She is mine. So I'm coming to get her. This is the cry at the end of the age with Jesus. I'm coming. I'm coming for my bride. I'm not coming against her. I'm not coming mean spirit to her. I'm coming to get her. I'm coming to receive her as my bride. I'm taking her away from all these things that are hindering her and she will be mine completely. So I ask you this morning, what are the things that are waging, raging against your soul? What are the distractions? I want you to take a moment, and some of you have probably already taken that moment over the last 30, 40 minutes. You've already taken the moment and said, yeah, that's, that's the way this is in my life. This thing has been a distraction. This thing is, is coming in and trying to have my affections. It's coming in. It's trying to have, have my heart, and, and God will not stand for it. And I want this thing to be surrendered to the Lord. So what we're asking for today is we're asking that that burning man with deep desire would come gaze deeply into our eyes. That he would look into our eyes and he began to just burn away desire. Burn away the junk, the crud, the the chaff. Just burn away all the stuff that is hindering my love for Jesus. Jesus.